powerful message through music today. It's been a blessing to me. I have heard it said before after a wonderful praise time like that, boy, we could just say the prayer and go home right now and it would be enough. I was looking for any amens there. Nobody said amen, so I'll take that as a compliment. We join together with this time, this study that's very familiar to us of the book of Acts. I mentioned last week, um, I know the summer holds for it some unique schedules for people. Um, some of you will be going on vacation. I'll take a vacation with my family here in a few weeks. And so I just wanted to give you some warning. While we've been in the book of Acts for, um, I think it'll be two years this coming fall, we'll finish before that. We'll be done before the end of summer. I'm fairly confident in that, and I hope you've enjoyed us going through this uh, narrative, really, this story of the history of the church, and as we go learning things about those that were key players in the church, and hopefully learning something about yourself as we study this, and the blessing that it's been to look at them, and then look how the church continues today right here in our place in Lapeer. Before we go any further, would you bow with me, and we'll ask for God's clear involvement. Heavenly Father, we come to you with that dependence that you love us to have, where we would have to look to you, and you freely give. And I would ask that the Holy Spirit would have some freedom in the hearts of those that are gathered here, those that would hear this message. I pray that nothing would hinder. I thank you for the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that we can take this book and study it and look at it, and celebrate it. And I would ask that you would help us to be changed today because of it. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If I were to ask you to just try to think about just your morning so far, so for some of you that's been about an hour, for some of you that's been about five hours, I understand that. I'm not going to ask which is which, which if you've been up, maybe you're one of that four o'clock crowd. Some of you are. I know you are. Some of you are that wait to the last minute crowd. And God uses everybody. I'm convinced of that. If I were to ask you during the time that you've already been up today to try to count how many advertisements you've seen, how many advertisements have come across your path just today, whether you've had the radio on, or you've been on the computer or on your smartphone, whether you have driven down the road and seen billboards, if you tried to count how many advertisements had already crossed your path, I would venture to say that for most of us, it's probably in the dozens. It might even be in the hundreds that you've seen today if you look at the subtlety of advertisement. This incredible tool of advertising that has an incredible impact on you, whether you know it, or not. I have seen some advertising recently for a business here in town, and it was much to my dismay that I was at this business. It was a local mechanic, and I was having some work done on my car. That happens, especially when we drive old cars. And um, so I was having some work done on my car, and I remembered seeing on some social media an ad pop up for this specific um, uh, mechanic. And the gal who was sitting there at the desk, I said, I don't suppose you have anything to do with your social media here, do you? And she said, well, yes, uh, I do. And I said, I have seen an advertisement for this place pop up multiple times on social media, so you're doing a really good job. 
And she had kind of a grin on her face because she knew something that I really didn't know that much about. Now, some of you are a little bit privy to all the ins and outs of that advertising and these people that are geniuses that are working on this kind of advertising. And this local business, advertising through social media, I said, I was kind of surprised to see it pop up so much. And she said, well, if one of your friends would like what we do, then it comes up on a regular basis. And also, these geniuses that are working on advertising, they would connect other likes that you have. And they would connect websites that maybe you have gone to and connect it with that. And also, what your friends like. So the friends that you have, they're looking at what they like, and that's going to control a pop-up ad. I thought it was just kind of neat that I was in the place that I saw an advertisement for. There's all kinds of stuff that was going on to bring that commercial in front of my eyes multiple times. And as I talked with her and got a little more educated on that, I thought my mind can hardly process how involved all that is. I couldn't even take in how much is going into the advertising for our time, for our attention, and ultimately for our what? For our money, right? So we'll spend our money there. I want to suggest to you today that there is some advertising going on in your life. And there's advertising by two opposite groups. There is countless advertising going on by the devil and countless advertising going on by our God. And these two both have a very specific plan. And if you want to call it moves and counter moves, I think the devil observes what God does and he makes a move. And of course, God's plan will not be thwarted. God is perfect and he knows everything that the devil is ever going to do. But you don't. You don't know what he's going to bring in your path to pull you away from God's purposes. As we look at the different influences that the devil has on us, as he is an expert in advertising, I want to suggest to you something that's very, very important. I want to suggest to you that one of the greatest advertisements that he has is going to be your life. Your life story. He wants to take things from your past, whether it be sins whether it be hurts that someone else inflicted upon you of no fault of your own, whether it be a shortcoming in your character, whether it be a strength or a weakness, the devil will take these things and he will use them in a very specific way. I want to suggest to you before we jump into our text today that one of the greatest discoveries in your walk with Jesus Christ is the discovery that when you look at the sins of your past, when you look at the hardships and tears that you've wept before, one of the greatest discoveries in your Christian walk is that you do not have to detest those. You don't have to de detest them. And you might be able to search through and find a Bible verse that tells us, no, this is how I should approach it. I want to suggest to us today, and I think the Apostle Paul will confirm this for us, if you look at your past and you detest it, then you're listening to the wrong advertiser. You see, God knows your past. God's not going to let you forget your past. Now, his, your sins are forgiven. He puts them as far as the east is from the west if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today. But God looks at that, and here's what God does. He says, I'm going to take my grace, and I'm going to make your past something that's going to benefit my cause. And too often, we want to keep it to ourselves. And I understand it, and by the way, I live here too. Because if you start to drop on people some of the things from your past, 
I was abused. Or I'm, I'm addicted to something. Or this is the sin of my past. We don't, we don't want to celebrate that necessarily. But I want to suggest to you that there might be somebody that you can make a connection with that might be going through just that. And there's a good chance that what you might have in common is that both of you are keeping that to yourselves and quiet. Now, we're not going to have an open mic testimony time for you today, okay? Don't get nervous about that. Having said that, I want to encourage you with this. What you have in your past, here's what you are. Are you ready? If you want to write down some key words from the message today, this is one of them. You are a steward of your past. Everything that has come up in your life, you are a steward of that, whether it is something good, whether it is something bad. You are to use that for God and for His glory. If you want to take away for the message today, um, I would have to say that this is a good way of putting it. And so, Daniel, I'm not getting any, oh, there it goes. All right, I had to stand on one foot to make the clicker work there. Here's our takeaway from the message today. God has a unique background in each of us that he expects us to use as a tool for his work. God has a unique background in each of us that he expects us to use fully as a tool for God's work. And here is the advertising of the devil, whether, no matter what it is, okay? No matter what's in your past, whether it's pornography, whether it's bad financial decisions, whether it's some sin you've never told anybody about. And then on the other end of the spectrum, God wants to use the good things too, so maybe your education, maybe your lack of education, the influences that you have. God wants to use all of these things. And here's what the devil is advertising. He says, you better quiet down about your talk about God because this might come out. And if that comes out, you're just gonna be nothing but a hypocrite. People will not believe you in your message, so why don't you just be quiet? You got your ticket to heaven. Just leave it at that. That's what the devil wants you to believe and wants you to hear. All that to bring us to our text. If you're not already there, would you turn to Acts 21, please? Acts chapter 21. We are getting towards the end of um, this time, and I've said this, I think, for two weeks now. Today, we're actually going to see the verses that transitions. So Acts is divided into some specific sections, and one of the bigger sections that we spent a lot of time on are the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. He took three missionary journeys, and right now, today, he goes from being on the end of that last missionary journey to being in chains, and that's where he will spend the rest of the time in the book of Acts, four years under arrest. And this is how that happens. Now, if you were with us last time we talked about this, all we did was read um, chapter 22, verses 1 through, I think, 21. And we had communion, and all we did was observe the story of the Apostle Paul. Today, we are going to see how he got to give his story. What led him to be able to stand in front of people who wanted to kill him, they were trying to kill him, and give his testimony of God and what, and what God had done. Uh, before I start reading, I'm going to back up to verse 26 and read that. But before I read that, let me give just a little bit of background. In the last story that we talked about here, the last instance in Paul's life, what was going on was Paul had just gotten done with that third missionary journey. He's going to Jerusalem. He arrives there. He's going to give a missionary report. For some people, that bores them. For these people, they were excited about it. I hope you're excited about the Hawkins Missionary Report next week and what's been going on because of their ministry joined with your ministry. He gives that missionary report and they all rejoice with him and then the elders 
including the half-brother of Jesus Christ, James, they say, hang on a second. We have thousands in Jerusalem that have come to Jesus Christ. But here's where they're at. They haven't quite let go of the Torah as much as we would like. They follow Jesus and they love him. But when you come in, Paul, they've already said about you that you hate the Torah and you hate the law. And so we need you to do something. And so the leadership of the church asked Paul, would you go ahead and sponsor these three guys in this Nazarite vow they have taken? And Paul does that. He participates. He doesn't take the Nazarite vow himself, but Paul is part of a seven-day purification system right at the end. And that's what brings us to our text today. The Apostle Paul is there at the temple doing what he could do to further the cause of the church. Look with me in verse 26 of Acts 21. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews of Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the crowd, laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they, don't miss this word, supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. Okay, let's stop right there. We're going to look at three different um, sections here for this. And as we look at what Paul does, and we see how God uses this, I want you to pay attention that at first he is quiet. You won't see him saying anything until we get to the end of our time together. I put the three different sections there on the slide for you. First of all, we see Paul is attacked in the temple. And then we find he is arrested by the Romans. And then we see he is given permission to speak to the mob. We're going to look at all three of these. We've already read through verse 30. And this is the attack of the mob. We've already talked a little bit about mob psychology. A mob doesn't really have any order. And we're going to see that a little bit more when he's arrested. There's no order to it. They're just going and uh, people who are smart have driven them into a frenzy and they go and they attack him and they grab him and they are going to kill him. I think they are kicking him and punching him and they are going to kill him. And by the way, the Romans are going to let that happen according to a certain um, allowance that they had to try to keep order. Now, some of the Jews that were there, these were not Jews from Jerusalem. They were Jews from, it says here, Asia. And what this is referring to is Ephesus, actually. They were Jews from Ephesus, and they recognized Paul. I thought about giving you a quiz today to see who's uh, doing a good job with your timeline of Acts and asking you how many years the Apostle Paul spent in Ephesus. He was there for quite some time. God gave him some rest, and we know that the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus for three years. He was there for three years, and the Gentiles who were losing money because they couldn't sell their idols hated him. And the Jews that did not follow Jesus Christ, they hated him as well. They likely had a pretty good thing going there, and so these ones hated him. Now, around Jerusalem, they are coming there for this time of Pentecost, this celebration. 
There would have been tens of thousands of more people in Jerusalem at this time. And so people likely had traveled from Ephesus. I don't think they were following Paul around, you know, a little boat following his boat trying to get him. I don't think that's what's going on. But they recognized him when he was in the temple trying to do what's best for the church. And did you see the rumor that was in there? I think the word that was used here was assuming. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about assuming, but could I preach a message on assuming and what comes from that? I've already seen it even today. Nothing major. Don't worry about it. Just don't assume. So we're not going to talk about assuming too much, but the assumption that takes place here actually gets Paul to where he is about beaten to death. These ones that were in Ephesus for three years, they wanted to kill him there and they could not do it. God was protecting him, but now they seize their opportunity. I need to give you a little bit of history here, and this is interesting. Sometimes people will apologize when they're going to give you um, a little bit of detail about the Bible, but you need to understand it to know what's going on, why Paul gets arrested. Because in the temple, which that's the location where we're at, there were different sections of the temple. We are all probably familiar with at least the term the Holy of Holies. This is the very intersection, and this is where God's, um, uh, God's person used to reside for them. We know when Christ was crucified, the veil was rent in two, and so there was no more separation, but they still had the function of this. So we have the Holy of Holies in the very inner part. Don't, don't tune me out. You're going to need this. The Holy of Holies, and outside of that was the holy place. In the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go. In the holy pray, place, only priests could go. And then you have a, a court outside of that for the Jewish men, and that was where they could go. And then outside of that was another separate area, and that was where the Jewish women could go. And then outside of that was one more area, and that was the court of the Gentiles. So the court of the Gentiles, anybody could go there. And they had a four-foot wall between the court of the Gentiles and that next inner court. And as they had this four-foot wall, they put signs up on this wall for good reason. They didn't want people going in there. And we think of today a no trespassing sign. Maybe you've seen that one sign, you know, trespassers will be shot, survivors will be shot again. Maybe you've seen that sign. They were giving fair warning. And here's why. Because when they said trespassers are going to be killed, it wasn't an exaggeration. The Romans who were in rule, who were in rule at this time, they wanted more than anything, if, if a Roman leader wanted to keep his job, he wanted to keep peace in the area. And they knew very well that in order for them to keep peace, they had to allow these folks, these Jews, to practice their religion. And so if they don't want people who are not Jews to go into this area, that's fine. They can put up a sign, and if somebody goes in there, they can kill them. That's kind of the situation where Paul finds himself right now because of some assuming. And because of a sign that was put up, um, I wrote down the words to the sign. They found two of these signs in the past hundred years as they're uncovering this. This was the sign that was written both in Greek and Latin on that wall before you would go in, um, outside of the, past the court of the Gentiles. The signs said this, Any man of alien race entering this court has only himself to blame for his own death. So that's where we're at. And Paul comes to this place. Now, was Paul a Jew or a Gentile? He was a Jew, right? He could very much so go past there and even past the court of the women. But this Gentile they had, that he had with him, Trophimus, he could not. 
And so when they see this guy from Ephesus with him, they assume that he had taken Trophimus into this place, which honestly you can tell there's some conniving going on here in this story because Paul's life wouldn't have been in danger if he did this, which they're beating him. Whose life would have been in danger? It would have been Trophimus, right? What kind of a friend would do that? Can you imagine that? They're walking by and going in here and Trophimus says, what's that sign say? And Paul says, oh, nothing, don't, don't sweat it. You know, and takes him on in to where he could die? No, Paul did not do that. In fact, what was Paul doing? He was in the temple helping the Jewish believers know that he wasn't against the Torah. He wasn't against the law. He was doing everything that he could and so he wouldn't do something foolish like that. But it was Trophimus who would have been in danger. Let's go ahead and look at the second part starting in verse 31. And as they were seeking to kill him, and I think we have a very short description of what was going on. I think, there was, I think they wanted to kill Paul and were trying until someone interceded. Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took the soldiers and the centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn of the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So they're taking him out of their presence now. Verse 35, and when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. All right, let's go back to this picture. I think we probably have a good understanding of what the temple was at that point. The Romans wanted to keep, they wanted to keep peace in the area. They could only do this if they knew what was going on. So right connected to the temple was this fortress. It was, a, it was a Roman soldier fortress, the fortress of Antonio. And as they were there, they could see everything. And I want you to look at the amount of soldiers that are there because what they have there, now don't miss where we're at. We're at Pentecost. There are thousands of people extra that are gathered that are celebrating. And it was not a peaceful area. There was violence on a regular basis. So as they are joined there, and as there's violence going on, the Romans would watch, and suddenly somebody says, there's all kinds of chaos going down there. And so the tribune here, he goes and he executes the Romans to protect Paul. God, I should say, puts the Romans into action. And they run down there with centurions. Now, a centurion was over, can you guess how many soldiers a centurion was over? He was over 100 soldiers. There were at least 10 centurions in this place. So look at how many people this, this trained riot squad goes down to stop them. As many soldiers as, as they need, they get to Paul. When the Jews see him or see these soldiers, they stop beating Paul at that point. They arrest him, and then they try to question him, and they're getting all kinds of nonsense answers from the mob. That's what a mob does. They don't make sense. There is no order. And these ones, they came down and actually saved Paul's life from these thousands that were celebrating. Now, last time we were in our study, we jumped ahead to chapter 22, and we saw the defense. We're leading up to that. But what gives Paul an audience? He wasn't looking for it that day. He was just going through, finishing up this purification time so he can have an audience to preach to the Jewish believers and also Jews that were not believers 
And yet he finds himself on this very day with a huge audience and he talks about Jesus Christ. What brings him to the point where he can give his defense or give his testimony? Look at verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then? who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins, capital A, assassins, out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you to permit me to speak to the people. Let's stop right there. So the tribune um, talks to Paul, and he's surprised because Paul speaks to him in Greek. He asks him a question. And the guy says, do you know Greek? How is it that, see, he already had a, a, an idea of who he was. What goes on, and this is just the last little bit of detail that I'm going to throw you to help us understand the story. What goes on at these gathering times where previously there was a group of assassins, capital A, it's a proper noun there, of assassins, that's what they were called, and they were leading a revolt against Rome. Well, the Roman soldiers had gone in and tried to wipe them out. They killed between two and 400 of this group, but many of them escaped, including the leader of this group of the assassins. And now they're not near as organized, but they still have plans, and they were still able to have effect, especially in big gatherings like this. Because what they would do is these assassins would go in and they would have a small dagger and they would take that dagger and they would stab or kill someone in that gathering. They hated the Jews. These assassins did. They would kill one of the Jews and then they would slip back into the crowd and go. And they did this on a regular basis. And so the Romans would be looking for this. So this is who this tribune thought they had caught. When they see this uproar going on, they see these men trying to kill somebody. It seems that he would have thought, oh, this is one of those assassins or maybe possibly, as it says here, the leader of that group. And so they found him and they're gonna kill him before we can get to him. So he assumes that it's this leader who was not an educated man, who was not a man that could, have a, um, that could stand in front of a group and impress them with his words. And Paul speaks, now remember, remember our takeaway, if you will. God uses everything in our past, everything that we've come across to be used for him and for his working. And right now, Paul is very shrewd. He's very clever. He speaks in a language of someone who is educated. This is a language that someone from outside of Jerusalem would have spoken in. And the tribune thought that Paul was that Egyptian leader from the group of the assassins. And we can learn a lot about that. But let's go ahead and move on because Paul now gives his defense. And we read that last week, but look at verse 40 with me. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, this is Aramaic, saying, and that's kind of an odd place to break a chapter, don't you think? Seems like it's right in the middle of that. If you missed last week, you'll be able to get the CD or go online and listen to that. And we just basically read through this last week. But this is where Paul is at, and he stands and he gives his defense. All right. I want you to, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down two words. And I want you to try to connect what we've already talked about. And then I want you to connect what I'm going to ask you to take away from this. The words are this. Well, it's three words, actually. 
but two different points. The first word is fragrance. Write down the word fragrance. Some of you are wondering, where am I going to go with this? Fragrance. Some of you are wondering, uh, you know, never mind. I won't make any funny jokes. I make jokes, but not funny jokes very often. The other uh, thing I want you to write down is triumphal procession. Triumphal procession. Okay? Because as Paul is going and as he is working, there is a fragrance that comes from his life. Everything that he's been through, everything that he's about to do, there's a fragrance that comes from his life. I want you to remember our takeaway. Our takeaway was is that God has a unique background in each of us that he expects us to use fully for his work. We've been studying the, Paul's life. We haven't missed any of it you know, from this book of Acts. And there's things we can learn from his writings. But what do we see um, Paul use in his life? There's several things. First of all, he speaks Greek, so he was an educated man. He asks politely, respectfully, if he can speak to the people. This gives him a chance to preach. And then when he talks to them, he speaks in the language of the people, Aramaic, and that made them quiet down. They were going to listen to this. As we see Paul, he tells about his story. We already talked about his testimony. He tells about himself being a devout Jew. That's going to gain an audience with them, okay? He says he was trained by Gamaliel. This is kind of like us saying, I went to an Ivy League school, okay? Oh, it's not just easy to get into that place, that school there. And also, he was first in his class. One historian told us that Gamaliel's biggest problem that he had with Saul of Tarsus was he couldn't give him enough books to read. That was his biggest problem. Saul was number one in his class as he studied at the school of Gamaliel. And don't miss this. If you miss one or two of these, don't miss this one. As Paul tells his story, he tells of his conversion. Because we're good about talking about our past and talking about a connection. I know you, we had this in common with each other so we can talk about this. We're good about that. And very quickly, we fail to talk about our conversion when we came to Jesus Christ and then also we know that he tells of God's command for him to preach the Messiah. And where he loses his audience is when we see that very last word there with a capital G to the Gentiles. You see, they listened to him. He put up his hand and they listened. He spoke in the language and they listened. He asked the one who was um, controlling things, the Roman soldier, and they listened. All of these things are going on. And I want to suggest to you that as we see Paul, he's using all these for something. But Paul, are you ready? Paul had to connect all of this to what God was going to do with him. All right, let me tell you a joke. I'm not, it's not a distraction from the sermon. Um, it's a funny joke, I think. And so, I think. You be the judge, I guess. And so, there's a joke. It's about a dad. He had twin boys. And these twin boys um, were opposites. They were opposites when one was a complete optimist. Everything was positive. Anything that ever happened, he could find something good in it, and he bragged about it. He was a total optimist. The other twin son was a complete pessimist, the total opposite. Everything was horrible. And this dad couldn't figure these kids out. He couldn't figure them out left or right. And so he decided to do a little bit of a psychological test for them. And so when Christmas came... He went and he was going to get presents. And to the pessimist kid, the kid that was negative about everything, he put all the favorite toys and all the favorite games in the room of the pessimist. He went there and he found his son, the pessimist, crying and sad. And he said, what's wrong, son? And he said, oh, all my friends are going to be jealous of me now. 
And you wouldn't believe how many instruction manuals I have to read for all these games and toys. And the battery, I, don't, I probably don't have enough batteries for these. And the batteries are going to go bad and this is going to be horrible. And he was just beside himself with how awful it was. He was negative. And then he walked by his other son's room. Now, he didn't buy him any toys. He didn't buy him any games. He went out to the farmer next door and he got a, a pile of manure and he put that right in the optimist's room. And he walked by, and his son, who was positive, was as happy as could be. He was just glowing, and he was so thrilled, he could not believe it. And the, the dad's trying to figure this out, and he said, what do you have to be so happy about, son? And his son said, well, with what I found here, there's got to be a pony around here somewhere, just like that. <laughs> Can I suggest to you that every one of us is listening to maybe the same sounding advertisement, but the devil wants you to think one thing about it, and God wants you to think the other. Very much so. What is part of your story, what is part of your past, is being led for you to seek out and give some kind of a response, to defend your faith, and not just be ready for someone to ask you, but for you to be seeking out opportunities that you can Give the gospel of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 3.15. And this is the message. It says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are living. And so this applies to every one of us, whether you're an optimist, whether you're a pessimist, no matter what. Some things are gonna come up on the screen here and a lot of these are good things because you need to use everything in your background. And you will also some th see some things on that screen that we don't like to talk about in, in our circles. Because some of you have had an addiction. Some of you have been victims of abuse. Some of you have been abusers. Some of you have some hard things in your life. I was sitting across from a pastor friend at a luncheon not too long ago, and he demonstrated this in a beautiful way where he said very much so. He talks about his history in his past, and my knee-jerk response was is to say, ooh, don't let that get out. And he was wise enough and mature enough to say, I let people know this because that's where a lot of people live too. It's not that we celebrate it, okay? You don't celebrate your sin. And a lot of guys do this. They'll talk about the past. Oh, man, yeah, back on Friday night, back in the day, woo! We would party it up. We don't celebrate it. But the Apostle Paul, very much so, did not detest his past. What he did was he used his past to magnify, are you ready, God's advertisement? He used his past to magnify the grace of God. That's what you are today. If you know Jesus Christ, you are an advertisement of the grace of God. And whether it is a very pretty picture in your past or whether it is a very dark picture, God wants to use all of that. He does not want you to detest it. He wants you to use it. And that's what Paul does here. Paul makes no bones about the fact that he killed people. He killed the Jewish Christians. And he doesn't say, I'm glad I did but he leads them to a point where he has an audience with them. You see, what Paul was, was he was a steward with this. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 2, just a little bit to the right, just a few pages to the right. 2 Corinthians 2, and I'm gonna close with this verse. Uh, three or four verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I asked you to write down the words fragrance and triumphal procession. Because as you walk through life, 
We use the word swagger sometimes today, but I think that has a negative connotation with some people. You're going to walk through life, and you need to have a certain spirit as you walk. I mean, let me just, don't turn back there, but did you see what Paul did to gain his audience here? This guy stands up. He's in two chains, right? Stands up before the people and waves his hands. I have to think some people would have thought, who in the world does this guy think he is? How is he walking with that kind of confidence? How in the world can he do that? I wonder if the guard would have said, sure, you can go ahead and try to talk to them. They're not going to listen to you. They were just trying to kill you. I couldn't even get any answers out of them. We had to drag you up here. And yet Paul walks with a very specific countenance and also everything that he does gives off a fragrance. 2 Corinthians 2, look with me in verse 14. Paul has already written this, by the way, before he goes to Acts. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we, these are the Christians, these are, this is you, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight we speak in Christ. Can I suggest to you today that everything in your background, everything you have been through, everything you have worked hard for, or everything you have worked hard to hide, all of these things are part of your story to do God's work. And if you will use those, God will have an impact that comes through your life. He wants to use you. Here's what you are, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're a steward of that. I very, I, I respond this way sometimes when something comes out. There's been at least a couple times um, where someone who was a public Christian has fallen, in, their sin got exposed or something happened. And I've said it out loud to Tina at least once and I think more than that where I've said about that Christian, if they're really a Christian, I said, well, they are now a steward of that. Adultery, you are now a steward of that. An arrest, you're now a steward of that. What are you going to do with it? More importantly, what is Christ going to do through you with it? This is how God wants to use you. And every one of you has a different story. You're a steward of something different. Some of you things that are very dark. Some of you things that are beautiful. Use every one, as Paul does here, Use every one for our God, for his kingdom. That's why he's left us here, to spread the word. What a wonderful place you stand in. So do not, do not detest what your history is. Don't brag on it, but understand what God wants to do with it. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do look to you with a wonderful, wonderful assurance that every one of us hearing these words today was at one day an enemy of yours, as far from you as any man could be. And yet because of the grace of God, you looked down and you showed love upon us and you allowed us to respond to the cross. We thank you for loving us and for seeking us out. We thank you for using us. And I would ask that you would allow everyone here, everyone here that's a follower of yours, your child, your son, your daughter, to look at the things in their past and use them in some way 
Start a conversation. Get some, get some people that you have things in common with, but to take it to Jesus Christ. And God, I would ask that you would allow some that are here today that do not know you, that are not following you with their life, that are, have not made you their savior, that you would allow them to see that they are not too far away. It's the grace of you that would allow them to give their life to Jesus Christ today, and I would pray to that end, that today would be the day of their salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask Ron just to play through just a stanza. This is a chance for you to pray. Take time while everybody's looking down, eyes closed, to pray on whatever God's put on your heart.